How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing? Good, Eric. Uh, are we are we finally in the dog days of the NBA calendar? Are we getting there a little bit, maybe? I feel like it's yeah. it's approaching. I, we've been spoiled with all these like random random bombs of of surprising, you know, whether it's shamwows or woge bombs or whatever um but uh but but we've we've it's been what how, is I mean, that what accepted now are like shamwows accepted is that accepted that, i think i think sham i think that's a, now a the sham vernacular is a, is, a, is, a, is a shamwow i know i forget what ramona shelburne had something and because people call her momo i refer to it as a momo missile um oh, but yeah, she doesn't okay. she does she doesn't she doesn't break that many things so um, Unless it's yeah, the Lakers, then she breaks all of them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I guess guess we'll we'll see. But yeah, not not a lot happening. I mean, Tony Snell finally signing the contract that we knew he was going to sign a month ago is, I guess, a news item sort of. But that that happened today, so that was nice. Welcome back, Tony, officially. Yeah, I was going to say. I think there was very like smallish news in fringish. Uh, connections to the Milwaukee Bucks. So, like you said, the the Tony Snell contract finally gets signed a month after it, it was announced. And I know I, a couple people tweeted at us, "Are there any specifics on the deal?" And well, no, the the team doesn't really ever give out specifics. It's the stuff that's kind of reported when it first comes out. Um, and if it is, if you do end up getting specific, sometimes it's later. Uh, but as it was originally reported. Um, it was what four years and forty four with a player option at the end, and uh, I believe what are the raises that you can factor? Uh, you're better at this than I. I'll just let you go. Yeah, so I've been just using it as a placeholder. Um, if you basically say max raises, which is equal to eight percent of the first year salary, so um, you can kind of work backwards and say what you know for what is forty four million over four years. Uh, need mean for a first year salary with with a max raise of eight percent, um, and if you do that, you get to around nine point eight million. Um, you know, interestingly, that there's been reports that there uh, are some incentives that could take it up to closer to forty six million, and it depends on how likely those are to happen. Um, and at this point, we don't know what those incentives are, but those uh, if if 
those are likely incentives that are expected to happen, then, um, you know, then those would, would count against the cap right away. Um, and if you kind of do the math similarly on that, um, and Eric Pincus, who does Basketball Insiders, he's using as an estimate right now, so it's not official, but an estimate uh, of just under $46 million, and he's got Snell's first year salary at ten and a quarter million, which, you know, again, that's you know, four hundred grand different versus the the nine point eight million scenario. But mm-hmm. as 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 listeners of ours know that, that all this matters a lot more this summer just because of um, the precarious position the Bucks are in with regards to luxury tax. So um, if it's nine point eight or if wouldn't it's you almost 2, think too that they would if they can move those incentives later on, like to just get it in this year? Don't you think they would? at least try to do some cap skirting and make that contract work a little bit better this summer? Or maybe that's just me thinking uh, a little bit too much or having too imaginative of a brain when maybe you can't do that with the contract. I don't know. Can you? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't just put like $10 million of incentives in the last year and have it like all backloaded like that. Okay. Um, so th- there, there's some limitations on, on how you can do that. So it, it really depends. And, and, the one thing that you probably can safely assume is that it is probably an escalating contract. The Bucks have used uh, de-escalating contracts or declining contracts, I guess easier way to say it, uh, a number of times in recent years, which was when uh, you know they had basically excess room and maneuverability, and so they decided to make the contracts declining, which gave them some extra flexibility. That's what they did with John Henson. That's what they did with Chris Middleton. His his kind of number moved all around. Um, and it's especially important when you have a player option in particular, because, you know, if you have a declining salary, then the last year being the cheapest year is like, well, I mean, you know, the guy's going to opt out. If it's yeah. increasing, that means that's actually kind of better because in a way it, it means that, you know, the number you're, you're definitely on the hook for is lower. And you can assume certainly this year that the Bucks are doing an escalating contract so that they're minimizing the first year cap hit because, again, they are so close to um, to the luxury tax. So. Um, so yeah, some probably we can guess it's somewhere between nine point eight and and ten ten and a quarter million, but you know we'll see. Um, if if anyone is is desperately curious about this, watch my Twitter account and I will uh, um, I'll try to do some digging into that. App. <laughs> uh, one other thing I was gonna say, randomly at Miller Park, obviously the Brewers are going right now, and uh, I cover not that. going well, not going that well. No, it's not going great right now. But I cover that for ESPN Milwaukee as well, and I've randomly been talking to people and people have like heard my voice and been like are you locked on bucks and uh, like that's very nice of you to say but then one of them mentioned that they they thought it'd be cool if we would do an episode and i want to throw this out there because i never know how people actually feel about it when we do these kind of things um and i haven't made this suggestion suggestion to you so i'm interested to see what you think but he suggested that we do a full episode of I don't even know how to say it, like capology, like just trying to break things down in what contracts exist and how you can do different things in the cap and literally just do an entire episode all about the cap. And again, I know you are a well-versed reader of uh, CBA FAQ, and I think that's what Larry Kuhn that puts it together. Yeah, yeah, CBAFAQ.com. If you ever have a cap question, Start at cbafaq.com. Um, it's the Bible for for cap questions, and uh, I mean, some some I, I was asked this week, like, well, how do you you know how did you kind of get to know a lot about the cap? And I just said, it's you know, I'm I'm old, 
that's one thing I've been, you know, I spent a decade writing about, you know, contracts and buck stuff. And obviously I enjoyed getting into the cap stuff, um, as, as a writer. So, you know, I was, I was always trying to check and make sure that, that I had things correct. So I, CBFAQ was always my cheat sheet and they, they've got it set up as an FAQ and you can, if you, if you know what you're looking for, control F, you can generally find stuff. Um, and pretty much any normal question you might have, it's going to be in there. So, so check that out. But, um, but yeah, and also I'm just kind of a nerd who likes spreadsheets and, you know, my, my background just sort of skews more that direction. So, um, so it, it, it does, I do enjoy, it. I mean, now that I, now that I don't write, you know, for a site, now that my brew group days are in, are in the past, um, I cling more, more pathetically than I used to, to my, my, uh, my Google doc where I keep all, uh, my bucks cap information, which if you ever needed everybody, uh, I do have it's you can get to it by doing bit.ly slash bucks cap capital B capital C the I think the it is case sensitive but uh, but yeah if you ever want to look at the the bucks cap scenarios and, and if you don't remember that basketball insiders I would say is generally the has the best the best overview of uh, of cap stuff but yeah I've had a couple of people ask me about like especially at cap holds because those are pretty confusing yeah. and I think we might get into that a little bit just because um, we were discussing that with um, our friend Ben Thompson the other day and it's pretty important for somebody like Jabari who is going to have actually a, a very big cap hold next summer even though his qualifying offer is likely going to be actually much lower than it than it would have otherwise been so um, it definitely factors in a fair bit to kind of like personnel strategy and things like that but I, I don't know I usually I'd be happy to do like a full episode on cap stuff. I don't know. Maybe we need See, to do like. I'm always scared. I'd like that's why I don't want to lose people. I that's don't what I'm saying. I'm the I know exact that it's like way. it's yeah because I know for some people it's just like eh, whatever. But I'm guessing for people who listen to us, they're already like resigned to the fact that I'm gonna <laughs> start blathering about cap stuff more than they might have interest in. But anyway, try I try to keep it at least focused on the practical, what the meaning of it is, rather than just like the you know super super minutia of it that that may not be of interest to people so yeah that's why i wanted to bring it up so if you're interested let us know on twitter um leave it on the comments at audio boom leave it in the comments on itunes where you can review the show do any of those things to let us know if you'd be interested because like frank said we're kind of in the dog days and i'm willing to try to think of all the questions that i have and have frank explain it to it explain it to me and i guess to us as an audience and then Hopefully try to pull out all of the pieces of encyclopedic encyclopedic knowledge that Frank has in there. Um, and we can try to extract all that information. But if no one's really interested in it and don't want to suffer through 45 minutes of that, <laughs> like I would totally understand. So I'm always, I'm always very curious if people actually care um, because I know I can get a lot out of Frank by asking questions on very specific things. Uh, so if people are interested, just let us know. Uh, Cause I, I'd be willing to try to learn more myself and use Frank to do so um, and record the whole thing. So I'd be cool with it. I'm sure Frank would be cool with it. Let us know if you'd be at all interested in it and we can do that uh, in the future. Other news of the day, uh, there was a report from Joe Varden at Cleveland.com that said if Eric Bledsoe, Josh Jackson, and Miami's first-round pick, which the Phoenix Suns currently uh, have, would have been offered for uh, Kyrie Irving at this point, a deal would already be done. Obviously, a deal is not done, so that means that has not been offered. Um, But that does, I guess, kind of update you a little bit to where 
where the negotiations may be, kind of what part of the process we're in. I would assume we're probably in the part of the process where Cleveland is asking for the absolute top dollar um, and going around the league, kind of seeing what people think, what uh, people might be willing to offer, and seeing if they can get that very top dollar. And I would assume a bunch of teams are going to say, no, we're not going to give up that much. And then we'll go through another round and kind of go round and round for a little bit. Um, but I did think that was significant because, one, I don't think the Bucks can match that. If that's what you're, if if you're looking for parallels for Bledsoe, Josh Jackson, and Miami's first, I don't know that the Bucks can match that without adding more pieces. Like if it's just three pieces, the Bucks cannot match those three pieces because Bledsoe is a relatively close to equal, or I guess could be the same thing as Middleton, as a, a proven guy, a guy that's top. 50-ish in the league, and again, you can go in different directions on those guys. Uh, Josh Jackson, I, I guess you would say Jabari would be the the top five pick that the Bucks could offer up, but Jabari Parker is obviously coming off two ACLs and doesn't have the same questions that maybe Josh Jackson does, and also is much further in his contract than Josh Jackson, and I guess the Bucks could technically probably match Miami's first, or around Miami's first with their own first, but uh, the Bucks just don't have a young player um, at the same level as Josh Jackson, I would say. Yeah, I think Jackson's really the differentiator. And I mean, it's, it's an interesting dance that you see. And, you know, I find it so interesting from like a negotiating standpoint and a, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I in, in, in a past life, I once helped um, design an auction for, uh, <laughs> this is so nerdy, for uh, the supply of electric power in uh, Pittsburgh, ironically. This was like, probably 13 years ago or something like that. Okay. And so I, I, I read, I've read a lot about like auction theory and all this type of stuff. And it's always interesting to me when you look at, you know, basketball, because we often think about, we always talk about like the market, the market for this player. What, what is this guy worth? Right. And that's going to mm. be a theme of tonight. And the, the problem is, and we, we talked about this a little while ago that the quote unquote market in the NBA, whether you're talking about free agency, whether you're talking about trade value is so often, determined by you know and, we, and we, again we, people probably heard us talking about winner's curse right the idea that you know if you go out and you're the high bidder well all of a sudden you've maybe bid way more than anybody else is willing to bid and you've overpriced somebody and now you're stuck with you know i was gonna say alan crab although the portland trailblazers did get rid of alan crab a week ago to the team that originally gave him the offer sheet in brooklyn so um but but things like that right like the, this whole problem of you sign a free agent and then you say like oh what what's his trade value it's like well if you signed as a free agent, you probably signed him for more money than anybody else was willing to offer. And you can argue maybe there's a team with cap without that didn't have cap space that, that might want him or something like that. But, you know, in general, like, you you don't sign a free agent and then have, like, a ton of surplus value you can go trade that guy for unless it's a max guy, right? Where, you know, we always talk about their their you know, their contracts are artificially constrained. So um, so I always find it, it interesting sort of to, to think about, like, the, the what is the value of a guy? And, and then you introduce the human element of the negotiation. And you know, as you were saying, it's like, well, right now we're probably in that phase where the Cavs are going out and saying, Kyrie's a superstar. He's a guy who's won an NBA title. He's made game-winning shots in, against the Warriors. You know, he's as talented an individual scorer as we have um, among, like, point guards or anybody maybe in the league. And everyone will say, like, those things are true. But they also are thinking probably the same things that, that we thought about in the context of the Bucks, which is he's not a super-duper carrier team to 50 wins every year, 
be the best player on a championship team type guy. And there's obviously, I think, a lot of well-founded cynicism around that. So as much as I think we've kind of talked ourselves in the idea of Kyrie having a lot of value, there's also, I think, understandably, you know, GMs, again, their job is to, to not go and, and overpay. And, you know, I think if you want to go acquire Kyrie Irving, it's important you you have something left over to, to have him play with, um, which has obviously been a challenge. We've seen like when Carmelo Anthony left Denver, um, the Knicks gave up pretty much all their good assets to get Carmelo Anthony. And then shockingly, the Knicks haven't been very good. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, obviously there's, there's other reasons why the Knicks haven't been very good beyond just what they gave up in that trade. But, but yeah, it does seem like, you know, we're in that sort of period right now where the Cavs have a little bit more urgency to do a deal than everybody else. The Cavs are the ones who, you know, are staring at the idea of LeBron and Kyrie awkwardly walking into training camp in early October. But again, that's still a ways off. So they don't have, they don't need to do a, do a deal this week, so they're probably asking for the world, hoping that some team sees what they hope a team sees in Kyrie as like some super duper star, and that they absolutely have to have. Um, but you know, I don't know. It it seems like you know if if the Suns aren't willing to give up Josh Jackson, maybe that changes a month from now after nobody's willing to give up Kyrie. Maybe they kind of are doing this just because every team is sort of trying to see what the market looks like and. Um, I'm sure every team is saying, here's our lowball offer, but call us if you're about to make a deal, you know, just in case, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. the, that's the, the, the signature move that, that of course everybody wants to make. But, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think as we talked about the other day, there are definitely teams that can make better offers than the Bucks. Absolutely. But are they, but are they going to, are they willing to actually make that offer? Correct. Right? Um, are the Nuggets willing to give up a huge boatload of all their interesting young players? For Kyrie Irving, do the Cavs even want that? Because it does it help them enough, you know? And I think, as you said, I, I do think Phoenix is sort of the most obvious trade partner because of the Bledsoe fit, the clutch sports angle with Eric Bledsoe <laughs> being represented by LeBron's childhood best friend, the Las Vegas workouts. Um, and then they have all these other pieces, right? So even if they're not willing to give up Josh Jackson, they have heat picks they have their own picks they have you know a bunch of random guys who are not random but like a bunch of solid guys right they're not going to give up devin booker but tj warren maybe maybe the Cavs like tj warren maybe they think of him as a second or third piece in a possible trade um you know it's understandable they're going to go for josh jackson but uh but i think it will be interesting to see sort of how that plays out and how that market evolves because again you have probably a bunch of teams that would be interested you have four teams that are supposedly on Kyrie's list, um, but the ability of all those teams to actually put together a compelling package. Again, not everybody has the assets to make sort of an, uh, you know a similar quality package. Um, and on, obviously there are other teams like the Bucks who are not on the list, but might be of interest to Kyrie in certain circumstances. So I think it'll be really, as, as I always say, I'm sure you're fascinated and I'll say that it'll be interesting <laughs> to watch. What we always say, um, but I, I will think I do think it's gonna be interesting to to see how it evolves. And I know we said I think I think you said like thirty percent likelihood he was still on Cleveland when training camp opens. I think I said something similar, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but it's certainly I mean all the stuff that's happened. I don't know if I put too much stock into the Kyrie laughing at Steph Curry making fun of LeBron workouts <laughs> at who was whose wedding was that Harrison, Harrison Barnes, Barnes wedding. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's just say this, like the whole idea of there being a, a meeting of the minds and, you know, a smoothing over of uh, of whatever animosity there might be. I mean, I would say the odds aren't looking greater that, that Kyrie Irving will be back in Cleveland at this point. But you never know. Right. I mean, the, the parallel was drawn between him and Kobe. 
uh, him looking up to Kobe, Kobe asking for a trade, almost getting traded to the Bulls in what, 2007, and then that not happening. So who knows? Maybe it won't happen, but I think certainly it does seem like the direction is still headed there. And um, we'll see. We'll see if the Bucks can lurk around that discussion. And who knows? Maybe they do have uh, have uh, an ability to make an offer that, that would be compelling, provided, of course, that they also can get some assurances that Kyrie is would actually be interested in coming to Milwaukee and not just, you know, looking to, to bolt at, uh, at the first chance. That's obviously a big part of it is, is he, how does he answer that question? How would you feel about the next seven years in Milwaukee? Um, I, I think that's a big question and really just watching how much teams want him that that's the, that's the impossible question for me to figure out right now. Cause I don't know how many, how many think pieces I've read in the last however long it's been since he requested that trade so that's what two fridays ago at this point so in the last 10 days i don't i don't know how many pieces i've read about Kyrie is great Kyrie is awful Kyrie's good Kyrie's bad Kyrie's what there's been a million of them and there's a million different ways to look at it um so i guess it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch to see what his actual value is and uh i guess maybe how how much importance people place on his ability to create shots and uh, be kind of a late game guy that can really create efficient looks in those situations and how much they view his defense and his leadership and all those things. So um, it, it's just going to be a, a fun thing to watch and see what, what people think of him and what teams think of him. So uh, that'll be fun. Another note before we get into what we wanted to talk about tonight uh, a, a couple guys over at Sports Illustrated. I was going to say normally our good friend Andrew Sharp, but Andrew Sharp was out today on uh, the Open Floor podcast. So uh, they brought in Rob Mahoney and Ben Golliver, who's normally on the Open Floor podcast. Uh, so those two came in, did the podcast, answered some questions from Sharp uh, about the top 100 ranking that Sports Illustrated does every year. And you are probably saying right now that has nothing to do with the Bucks. Why, why are you telling me about this? Well, I would say the first forty-five minutes are—I don't want to say Buck-centric, but the Bucks are mentioned regularly throughout the first forty-five, fifty minutes of the podcast. Uh, you hear about probably about ten minutes on Giannis specifically. Uh, Giannis was ranked forty-eighth last year in their top one hundred rankings, and they kind of wanted to look back on why was he so low? What did, what did we miss there? Or did we not miss anything? And we're just kind of skewed and a little bit biased towards older players. And I thought that was an interesting discussion. They also discussed is Giannis in the top 10 this year? Uh, there's some discussion of Chris Middleton when they talk about DeMar DeRozan. Uh, there's some discussion of Greg Monroe when they're talking about the bigs that they have in the top 100 that are more offense and not so much defense. So there's a lot of a lot of themes that tangentially discuss Bucks players, which... I think if you're ever listening for something national, that's what Bucks fans are always looking for. And I will say it is, it is full of Bucks stuff in the first hour. I think it's like an hour and a half or so podcast, maybe hour fifteen. So it's a, it's a long listen, but I, the, those guys do a great job. So it's a great listen um, and very Bucks centric. So I would I would say 
give that a listen. Any other thoughts on that, Frank? I know I I saw it from you originally. Yeah, well, if you're if if we're not podcasting enough, then then check it out because uh, I mean the Middleton stuff was was also pretty pretty involved. And um, if Agreed. if you are if you are uh, interested in uh, in trying to move Chris Middleton for Kyrie Irving or something else, you should hope that. Uh, Kobe Altman and the uh, and Dan Gilbert were listening to that podcast because they uh, they definitely sang Chris Middleton's <laughs> praises and it was it was nice to hear uh, Chris Middleton get some get some love and uh, uh, especially at the expense of uh, Demar Derozan that was sort of the uh, the irony I guess of that but uh, but yeah so that was good and um, I don't know should we get into our our main topic I feel like we've already used up half this podcast but that's a given. Um, uh, of course, we took a longer time on news and notes than we should have, but you know what? That's what we do. So uh, I guess what we tried to do tonight, Frank and I were talking about this, and it's something that I think is has come up as we've talked with people on Twitter, with all of you guys that listen and have thoughts on our podcast or our mailbags and stuff like that, about the value of certain players. Um, it's especially come up as we've discussed the Kyrie Irving possibility and kind of who would go where and who would be desirable for another team and how it would work in a three-team trade and what players from the Bucks another team would actually want to take on to their roster. So we talked about all these different machinations and then we kind of decided, well, we should probably do a trade value type rankings. And I guess the tough part of this always is Deciding on criteria, I would say we largely did not uh, because we couldn't really come to an agreement because there's a number of ways to go about it. Like There's the Bill Simmons way that, what, his rankings, whoever's on the top, if a team would call and ask for that guy, you would say no. So if someone called with the number five guy and asked you to trade number five for number four, you would say no. But if it was vice versa, you would say yes, and that's why four is above five, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's that way. I think there's the way of just general value. Um, is, is that person valuable to the team? And when you say the team, you mean the Bucks specific team. Uh, I think there's the other way of looking at it for value as a whole. Like, is this guy valuable no matter what, no matter where he is? Like a Chris Middleton type, he's valuable wherever you put him in the league. He doesn't have to fit into a specific team uh, to fit in somewhere in the NBA. He will fit in wherever he goes. So there's some of that. So there's a million different <laughs> things you could try to throw into this. And ultimately, I don't know if we, we made that decision, um, but I guess some... That was kind of what I was trying to balance. Frank, what were you thinking about as you were trying to put this list together? Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know, there's also, and, and we've done this in, in past years at Brew Hoop where we do, you know, sort of the survivor style, you know, start at the bottom, vote off the, the least valuable guy, and then go all the way up to the top. And um, I think it's an interesting exercise. And again, you can look at it some different ways. I think most of them, you know, again, whether you're saying objective value from a from like around the league perspective, you know, who would a random GM want if you were starting a team, um, or who would if you're the Bucks, who would you you know protect uh, in a, an expansion draft type scenario? Right, that's another way to look at it, which gets more at the way you're describing it of um, you know value to the Bucks, right? Yeah. And and obviously value to the Bucks is obviously central to any discussion, right? Because if you're talking about a trade and obviously that's the kind of backdrop to a lot of this discussion, um, I, I think we have to at least factor in some of that. Um, because ultimately if you're talking about trade value and using a guy in a trade, then 
his importance to the Bucks is pretty essential, right? If if you're talking about John Henson being the f- third or fourth center on this team, his value is obviously lower than if you know Greg Monroe and and Thon Maker and Spencer Haas didn't exist, right? So positional scarcity on a team matters um, to the Bucks, but maybe it doesn't matter as much to you know another team that that doesn't have as many centers or things like that. So we can kind of talk out about it from both angles. I'm probably going to view it more from the perspective of who do I least want to lose in a trade? So that'll probably be my main lens, but we can talk a little bit obviously about like also what a guy's values are on the league. Cause certainly for big guys, um, their value is, is depressed, um, relative to, to the rest of the league. We we've seen that, um, over the last year or two. And, and that's why the bucks still have so many of them. All right. Let's start at the bottom, Frank. Um, and I think the easiest way for me to do this is just to group, uh, three guys that I think are at the bottom together. And I'm curious if you view it the same way. I have Glove Jr., Spencer Hawes, and Rashad Vaughn all together in the bottom three least valuable players for the Milwaukee Bucks. And again, we're not doing the two-way guys or anyone else, just the 15 um, as it stands today. So those are my three at the bottom. Do you have any disagreement with those three? And do you rank those three in any other ways um, within their own tier there. Yeah, so I I have three completely different players at the bottom of my list because I'm taking it really okay. Yeah, I see so you're and and this I think this is a good discussion, right? Because I think you're you're listing off. I would agree those are like the three probably least useful players to the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of on the court. I would agree with that, right? Like if you're Jason Kidd and and you go up to Jason Kidd and say, all right we're going to like put three guys on the inactive list. Those guys might be the first three you'd pick. Um, but my view is cause those guys get paid nothing. I mean, Spencer Hawes is expiring, right? Yeah. He's, he gets 6 million. Gary Payton has a non-guaranteed deal at this point. So he's like the definition of a neutral asset to me. Like y- you could give him another team and they would say, okay. And then they'd either keep him or wave him, and they would have no negative effect. So I'm, I'm definitely over, I'm I'm definitely taking the the contract value and and really placing a big premium on that. Um, and especially obviously we spent the whole summer talking about like how do you feel the Bucks shed salary. So especially in a world where the Bucks are you know a little over the luxury tax and being able to wipe a guy off the books would make a big difference. Um, I put John Henson as my least valuable Milwaukee Bucks asset. And again, I'm I'm going to call him an asset rather than a player because yeah. he's definitely a better player than yeah. you know. Rashad Vaughn, I think he's a better player than Spencer Hawes, definitely a better player than Gary Payton. But in terms of, you know, the contract and the fact that, man, if someone walked up to you and said, I will take John Henson off the bonky bucks hands, <laughs> and along with that, hit the $32 million owed him over the next few years, at this point, I would do that. I would happily yeah. do that. And I would put Mirza Toledovich for similar reasons. Again, I think Mirza Toledovich is a lot better than Rashad Vaughn, Gary Payton, and Spencer Hawes. Um, but I'd put, probably put him... Um, second to last, and then I put um, I put Delhi third to last, and I think you can push Delhi up a fair Whoa. bit. I think, yeah, I think that's pretty debatable, um, especially on a team like the Bucks again, where they don't have many point guards. <laughs> um, so Delhi, I think, has the clearest role, but I think just the fact that you know, again, he's owed close to thirty million dollars over the next three years. Um, I hesitate to call him an asset, uh, a positive value at that price and and we've discussed that you know the bucks could likely find somebody to take him if they really wanted to um but i think he's the most i think he's pretty replaceable i think you could especially in this market i think you could have gone out 
and found a really cheap guy. Like if you went out and, and if someone took Delhi off your hands and you went off and got, you know, Ian Clark, you had some money, you went off and gave Ian Clark five million dollars for the next two years. I mean, are you losing anything? No, I don't, probably I don't not. think so. Not really. So so I think but the, so I think this this is good because I think it highlights sort of the different perspectives, right? Yeah. Like what is value? Is it value? You know, how much do you how much do you do you do you incorporate the value of the contract versus the value of the player? And um and from a trade perspective, um, I think again, I think it would be especially Toledovich and Henson, I think being able to dump those salaries, I think is you know, again, is way more useful, especially because neither of those guys is like essential to the rotation. Um compared to like Avon or Gary Payton, who again is not as good a player, but also like has very little impact on the bottom line in terms of salary. Can I just say how perfect it is that you would be factoring in contracts as much as you are? <laughs> Cause it is just ideal that you would do it that way. Um, I, I guess the reason I put those three down at the bottom is cause I don't know if they're NBA players. Like, yeah. Like the, so I, I guess to have value, um, and I understand they don't have negative value, but to have val like to be more valuable than negative value, you have to have some value. Like you have to actually be <laughs> like an NBA player to me. And those three, uh, at this point, like I just don't think those three have proved it. Maybe Sp- maybe Spencer Hall's at a minimum. Maybe you could convince me that that's a guy that could, in some ways, have NBA value, but. Uh, even then, you're probably stretching uh, the definition of value. So that that's where I put those three. But that's really interesting. Um, and I, I guess this kind of works out. Uh, so I think we're probably going to end up switching... Yeah, yeah, our, absolutely. Our three. I have, the, I have so, the next. Yeah, I have the next three guys in the next three spots. And I'm guessing you have the reverse, right? Uh, yes. So I have Henson, Teletovich, Delvadova next. So we, literally, we're just flipping it. And and I like you said, it kind of. I guess if we would have defined the criteria a little bit better, um, we would have had a better idea of it. But then even in that situation, I don't know if I'm backing down from those three being on the bottom of my list just because those other three guys all are NBA players and the bottom three guys are not to me. But yeah, we, we literally just flipped those three. So my 15 through 13 are Glove 2, Spencer Hawes, Rashad Vaughn, then Henson, Teletovich, Delvadova, and yours are... I had, and again, skewing against contracts, so I had Haas... Uh, as the lowest, uh, then GP2 and then Vaughn. Um, and I think with Vaughn and GP2, I have them as being like the closest to sort of like neutral value assets on the box roster. And GP2, again, that's just sort of like a contractual just sort of thing. Yeah. Like he literally, like you could literally get rid of him tomorrow and you would owe him no money. Yeah. Um, like, and, and I think that's a big, like uh, my lens of, of doing a lot of this is if you go up to a random team and let's say they had cap space and you offered them John Henson, would they accept that guy, right? I mean, we can be pretty certain that the Bucks did offer John Henson to every team that had cap space and obviously nobody took him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if, um, you know, and, and I would say similarly, I don't think anybody wanted Spencer Hawes. You could argue Spencer Hawes should be, I, 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 you could definitely talk me into Spencer Hawes being lower than Delhi, just because I think Delhi is, is more useful as a player, especially mm-hmm. on this team with, with the roster they have. So I was probably being harsh on Delhi. Um, but, you know, GP2 and Vaughn, like, if you, if you went around to every team with cap space right now and said, do you want Rashad Vaughn? 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if one of those teams said, okay, we'll take him for free. Um, whereas you couldn't do that with, with the guys that I had at the bottom of my list, or at least I, that would be my, my argument. So, but I totally agree. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's purely a, a weighting of, of salary versus ability. Right. And, and with Vaughn in particular, it's sort of that upside question. <laughs> and, I, and again, I don't want to act like Rashad Vaughn has a ton of upside, but you know, does he have legitimate NBA player upside? I mean, I think he does. Is he going to get there? Question mark. Um, so <laughs> shruggy I, emoji. Shruggy emoji. Um, so, so I, so I, I, he's, he's such a fascinating guy. Cause I think especially where the bucks are, relative to the salary cap it it wouldn't i mean it wouldn't shock me if the bucks traded rashad vaughn for like a top 55 protected pick aka a pick that will never actually be sent to the bucks like if you offered rashad vaughn to the you know brooklyn nets would they just take him just to say like sure why not he's 20 super young you know maybe he figures something out at some point and you know he did play well against them in the uh in summer league in that one game so um so I, I don't know i mean that would that would get you under the luxury tax uh do the bucks want to just give up on rashad vaughn at this point i'm sure many fans would be fine with that if you've uh, stuck it know. out this long <laughs> i mean it's crazy that he's still only 20 years old it's it's yeah, so it funny is. i mean i think he's turning 20 this this coming month but um that's that's the trap right is it's like well you're going to be able to say that he's ridiculously young for the rest of his rookie contract um being but young like, doesn't I mean you're good like, right at what point do you just say all right we're good you know and and um it's it's uh it's that it's one of those difficult things for for a team to figure out when do you cut bait on a guy that you know obviously you uh you you showed some faith in by drafting him but you know at some point you have to kind of say like, all right the the nostalgia only takes you so far okay i'm trying to figure out the best way to handle this so our bottom six are the same deli yep. toledovich henson rashad vaughn spencer hawes glove two in some order and and i think we can agree that like none of these guys if if you if you're going if you're going to the Cavs and you're trying to construct a trade with the exception of maybe deli just because of the fact that he was there and they have like uniquely warm feelings i guess maybe maybe lebron you know lebron might like him more than an average team yeah um none of those guys are making the Cavs more more willing to give you uh their superstar point guard right i mean none of those guys are moving the needle they are throw-ins uh, not value adders they're, exactly they're, they're or, purely or, throw-ins to even up salary or whatever it may be like that would be it. Right. Or worse, right? They're making the Cavs say like, wait, you want to give us, you know, John Henson? Like, no, actually, we don't want him at all. We don't we can't afford to, you know, pay him because of our luxury tax situation, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, agree. OK, so I think four through nine is really hairy. So I want to go to one. Which is clearly Giannis. It's not even a question. There would be right. no reason to ever discuss it. So Giannis is clearly one. By the way, shout out to Brew Hoop Readers because... The first time we did this at Brew Hoop, uh, and I remember Steve Von Horn and I discussed this on a podcast, this was going into Giannis's second year, and Jabari Parker had just been drafted second overall, and I thought, I mean, my view was, I really thought that Jabari was going to be voted as the, mo- the more valuable, like I thought it was going to be one-two between those two guys, I thought Jabari yeah. just because the pedigree, just because Giannis at that point was still, you know, I mean, he obviously yeah. hadn't shown what he is now obviously at that point um but he was Giannis was voted number one that year and then obviously every year since then so um shout out to people maybe it was you know just getting attached to him at at uh, that rookie year but um but Giannis is yes he is the king of the bucks trade value 
And I, I don't know. Bill Simmons keeps saying he's going to do one of these, and he's alluded to Giannis maybe being the king of the entire NBA in terms of trade value, which makes me feel just tingly with delight <laughs> just thinking about it that the Bucks yeah, might have crazy. a guy who is, if not the most valuable, you know, trade asset in the league, like you know, top three or four. By the way, there's a uh, a website called NBA Assets, which um, is interesting because it's literally just a list of every player and draft pick. Um, that's out there and factoring in obviously their ability, their age and their contract. It literally every team and every, you know, overall as well ranks everybody. And they have Giannis third in the entire league in terms of asset value behind only Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, interestingly enough. But anyway, brief aside. So what, what Giannis is clear? Number one, Chris is a clear number two. Agreed. Three. I have Thon maker. I do as well. Okay. Which is weird because, because we're not like, Thon, we are not upside super superstar upside guys like i we are we are, are thon serge Ibaka upside we are I, I don't even know if i'm that upside i mean i'm thon is an elite I, that's like to be top honest, five percent like that's like everything goes perfect amazing everything is great with thon maker like well and I'll, I, I'll say this i mean he doesn't have to be as because because that was the thing i mean serge until like last year didn't really ever play center with any regularity so yeah. the fact that Thon is already playing center and already shooting threes, which Serge really didn't do for a long part of his career. He was an awesome mid-range guy, but didn't really shoot threes. Um, and he played power forward. So I actually think Thon is interesting because like his his fit is so perfectly niche at this point that even though I don't think he has the scoring upside of even even a Serge Ibaka, who doesn't have like obviously a super dynamic game, um, Thon just like, I don't know, he just fits the modern game so well. If yeah. he just can continue to hit threes at a reasonable clip and then just be like an incredible switcher and mover and, you know, rim protector and, and switcher. I mean, I just think he's uh, I think he really fits well. And and then I think this also gets to like why our conversation the other night about the Bucks needing to at least think about a Kyrie trade because they don't have that sort of top end, you know, and like Steve Von Horn alluded to in his question to us about, you know, who who else other than Giannis is going to make an all-NBA team? You know, none of, you know, we don't really see anybody else in this roster getting really close to that type of potential. And even with Thon, I just I just don't think he's offensively, I just don't think he has sort of like the offensive toolkit to to get there. But can he be super valuable? I think he can be way more valuable than sort of his like, you know, box score stats yeah. suggest, which is which is obviously a big appeal to them. So I would agree. I, I, at this point, I have him third. Um, and you go again. I don't feel like great that Thon Maker is the third most valuable asset in my view of, on the Bucks. <laughs> and again, part of it too is because he has three years left on his rookie contract, so he's going to be cost controlled for a long time, and then he's obviously a restricted free agent thereafter. So that's obviously a big part of his value as well. All right, okay. That that's what I was. This was kind of what I was envisioning. I thought we'd be very. We think very much the same at the bottom and top of the roster. In the middle would be where it would get interesting. So uh, we took the bottom, took the top. Now we're going to go back to the bottom of the middle section, uh, <laughs> just to make it. You don't want to. Cons- you don't want to do. You don't want to do the four or five spots because I, I feel like the three through five spots are like a natural sort of debate point, and I imagine a lot of our listeners okay, are going let's to go there. disagree. And let's I don't go. know if we're going to disagree, but I think a lot of our listeners will probably disagree with this. I think it's an interesting, you know, range in the Bucks value uh, or trade value because because there's uh, there's three young players there, 
and yes, I think okay. they bring very different, very different things to the table. Okay, we're in the same spot then. Okay, then we'll we'll do three, four, five. So we did three with Thon. I have Malcolm Brogdon number four. I do as well, and that obviously leaves Jabari at five. Um, but let me let me play. I, I don't want to say devil's advocate because Jabari is the choir boy of this team and maybe the NBA. So I'll play Jabari's advocate here. Um, you know, when you think about looking at it through different lenses, so a big reason that, you know, I'm, I get nervous about Jabari is, and we always talk about the next contract and what does that look like? And we've talked about that with, with Chris and, and Malcolm Brogdon as well, because they have effectively two years left on their contracts. Jabari has one year left on his contract before he needs a new deal. I know a lot of people have talked about, like, well, can you get Jabari on a cheap extension or you know, what is a cheap extension even at this point? I don't know. Um, but I think that's definitely a big part of it to me is you're not really going to get any value from Jabari this year in terms of like winning games. Like it's not fair to really think he's going to come out and, and, you know, again, maybe he'll, you hope that he comes back maybe at the All-Star break as they've talked about. Yep. You hope that he looks physically close to what he was. Um I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw that article um, from Chicago. I think Nick Ferdell of ESPN Chicago, I think, yep. wrote a, a piece on him when he was down in Chicago. Um, and it was interesting because, I mean, Jabari was really up. He was very, I'd say, defiant in a way about not wanting to come back and be anything but what he was. Like, he wants to come back and, you know, he's not going to worry about blowing out his knee again like he's he's over that like he's just gonna come out and and be unafraid basically which is interesting because i feel like you've also you know i think a lot of fans have kind of speculated about like oh is he gonna like reinvent his game and become more of a finesse player and you know lose sort of the explosive herky-jerky things that look like they would be bad for your knees type (laughs) aspects to his game and certainly you know if you take jabari at face value and what he was saying that is not what Jabari intends to do. He's he's going to go, and if he can't play the way he wants to play, then he'll suffer whatever consequences come with that, which you know is interesting to to hear, obviously. Um, but I, I I do think it's interesting because again, it's sort of this question like if if Jabari, you know, we ultimately it comes down to the Bucks, right? Because they they both Jabari and Brogdon are going to be restricted free agents when they come up for the market, so the Bucks have a final say. So now I mentioned Jabari and his contract stuff, so. If Jabari started next year and played a full season, his qualifying offer, the amount you have to offer him in order to retain matching rights and free agency, keep him a restricted free agent, you'd have to offer him about nine million bucks qualifying offer. Normally, we don't talk about much about qualifying offers because good players don't generally take qualifying offers. They go out and find a bigger multi-year contract, and then that is what they get paid. Jabari is interesting though because his his qualifying offer is nine million. So you basically you have to say, all right, here's nine million, and then if you want to let him go sit and try to find another contract, you can do that. But he can always come back and say, actually, you know what? Give me that nine million. Um, his cap hold, so the amount that that basically counts against the Bucks salary cap while he is unsigned, is around twenty million. It's three times his previous year's salary. So he counts. He takes up a huge chunk of the Bucks cap space. Basically. Jabari, as long as they they make him that qualifying offer next year, the Bucks, based on what they are right now with the current roster, unless they get rid of like Henson or Toledovich or somebody like that, mm-hmm. they will not have cap space next summer. They will have the full mid-level exception, which again this year was about eight point four million. Maybe it'll be a little higher next summer, but that that's really what they're going to have. They they should be under the luxury tax, hopefully, um, but they're not going to have cap space. So if you're 
trying to think next summer like what their big cap move is going to be. Um, as long as Jabari is, you know, again, around, um, they're probably not going to have really any cap space. Um, and that, so it's interesting. But the other kind of interesting factor here is there's something called starter criteria, which for um, draft picks affects their qualifying offer. So Jabari, because he's not going to start half the game, we know he's not going to start half the games next year. We know he's not going to play 2,000 minutes. Those are the starter criteria, quote-unquote starter criteria. So his cap, or sorry, his qualifying offer will actually be dropped to, I think it'll be roughly like half that. So like 4.3 like or 4 million, something like that. It's basically the qualifying offer, I think like the 15th pick from his draft class. So his qualifying offer is actually going to be very, very low, but his cap hole is going to be huge. And so the Bucks basically have no reason not to give him a qualifying offer because, you know, if he, for whatever reason, can't get the deal he wants, he goes and takes the qualifying offer, um, it's going to be very little money, right? So he's an incentive to, to sign a long-term contract with, with somebody. Does um, does the qualifying so, offer also give you restricted free agency rights? That, that's the idea. You give him, you make him the offer so he can take it. And then there's a late in the summer, you you can withdraw it. And we've seen that happen with some guys. But but basically that's what, you know, it's basically kind of those things like, all right, if you want to like hold this guy prisoner with restricted free agent rights, you got to make him an offer. That's basically what the qualifying offer is. Okay. And the idea is that for good players, it's higher. So with Jabari, if he had been healthy, you know, the Bucks couldn't just sit on him and say, like, you know what, you can't find that you're going to be our restricted free agent prisoner. Well, you got to at least offer him that one year $9 million deal. And then the catch is if he takes that, he can be an unrestricted free agent the following year, and he also has a no-trade clause um, during that year. So if a guy takes a qualifying offer, it's he it's bad. Like, the guy's... He's probably gone. And that's what Greg Monroe yep. did in Detroit, which is very rare for guys who are good. I mean, it rarely happens. I think Ben Gordon did it. Yep. I remember when he was once good. Just um, wanted to make but that anyway, so Okay, perfect. Exactly. So anyway, so I've been dragging on about this contract stuff. But bottom line is Jabari has a, is in a really weird spot. Like basically he individually is sort of like, you know, not the Bucks. Not the Bucks would have a ton of cap space. They might have like 12 million in cap space or something like that next summer if they didn't have Jabari on the books again assuming no other moves. Um, so they wouldn't have a ton of flexibility anyway. But as long as Jabari's around, he's tying up a huge amount of the cap, even though his cap, his uh, qualifying offer is actually not going to be that high. Now, I think the bottom line is that you're going to have to pay Jabari Park or something, right? You're not going to sign him for four years, 20 million bucks or something. I mean, you're, he's going to have to pay him real money Correct. to keep him for a long term, or he's just going to take a qualifying offer. And I think that's why I have him lower than Brogdon, for instance, because clearly I think Jabari has more upside than Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, I'm not in the camp. I like Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you have him for two more years at essentially the minimum, basically. Um, you know he's going to get paid 1.3 million next year, then 1.5 million the, the year after that, right? I mean, ridiculously low. Um, so he's going to be dirt cheap for another couple of years, and then he's a restricted free agent as well. Um, so again, is Malcolm Brogdon better than Jabari Parker? Um, I mean, you can certainly find some stats, like some advanced metrics. I would say he was more helpful last year, even when Jabari was helpful. Um, is he the kind of you know? Is he going to be the Bucks' third star? No. Um, does Jabari have a better shot at that? Yes, I would say so. Um, Jabari's younger, but Jabari's also coming off his second ACL, and we just don't know, right? And he's going to get paid earlier. So that's why I lean towards Brogdon being higher, and I just think also from an external trade value perspective, it's way easier to put a value on Malcolm Brogdon than it is Jabari Parker, right? There may be some... There, I'm sure there are teams out there that would value Jabari higher than you know Malcolm Brogdon, but I think from a general perspective, 
Jabari is just really tough right now. For me with Brogdon, I, I mean, it's a lot of what you said, but it's just certainty. You understand what you're getting with Malcolm Brogdon. Are you getting the league's best point guard? No. But is he going to get considerably worse in year two? No. He's probably going to be that same, if not better, and he's going to be the same, if not better, in his third year. So you're getting those three years for sure. You're also getting that restricted free agency. So there's a good chance that you're getting Malcolm Brogdon at an extremely cheap rate for the first three years and then a reasonable-ish rate on that second contract. Uh, so, so you know what you're getting, and you just can't really say the same for Jabari Parker. Uh, he may come back in average 20 a game in the 25 to 30 games he plays next year. He also might not. And if he does come back and do that, well, then, then maybe you have to pay him a lot. And there's just so many things that are uncertain with Jabari that I think it's hard to put him above Malcolm just because you know what you're getting with Malcolm. And again, maybe that you know what you're getting and that means you're not getting a super high upside player. But at the same time, what you're getting is solid. What you're getting can help you win games and you're you're confident in that. And you just can't say that with Jabari and Obviously, you mentioned all of the contract stuff. You mentioned uh, the fact that he's coming off two ACLs. Like, I don't think you can have a ton of belief in knowing exactly what you're getting. There's just no certainty there. You don't know exactly what you're getting. You're hoping that you're getting a Jabari Parker that can score, still explosive, still shooting 35-plus percent from three. Like you, You do hope that you're getting that, and you can believe that you're getting it, but you can't be certain that you're getting that. Uh, so that's a big thing. And then also if you're thinking about it as trade value, if you're a team training for Jabari Parker, you have to be – you have to be at least approaching that as not maybe not a lottery ticket, um, but at least some game of chance. Like, like that, that is what you're playing with Jabari Parker. That uh, maybe maybe that it still is a, a lottery ticket. Maybe that still is the upside of a number two overall pick, but you don't know that for sure. Um, and you also probably have concerns about him defensively and, and what he can do on that side of the ball. So I I honestly think it's for me it was difficult but also a no-brainer to put Jabari at five uh and put Malcolm above him just because there there's just there's just no certainty of what Jabari Parker is going forward yeah I mean and and again if if people want to put Jabari third I I can totally see that as well I'm not you know at this point like it's such an eye of the beholder thing there's so much risk in it it's so much of a trade-off of you know kind of potential and raw skill over it's kind of more certainty, right? And I mean, we should mention Malcolm Brogdon as well. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon fell as far as he did in part because people worried about his foot. I mean, who knows? Malcolm yeah, Brogdon could, could, could have foot problems crop up next year that, you know, derail his season or derail his next couple of years. You know, you're you're definitely at a point now where I think I think you could argue for both Thon and Brogdon. I mean, this is the irony, right? This is the absolute lowest that Jabari Parker's trade value has ever been in the NBA. And we may look back three, four years from now and say this was the highest that Malcolm Brogdon's trade value ever was coming off a rookie of the year season where, you know, again, you could potentially talk yourself into him continuing to get better and better and, you know, having untapped upside. We'll see if that happens. And likewise with Thon, you know, he's (laughs) still kind of a mystery box to a lot of people. Right. And we obviously may not be 
that high on him sort of offensively in terms of diversifying his game. But um, he's still very raw, um, you know, regardless of sort of the age questions. He's clearly inexperienced at the highest levels. So um, he's going to get better just from that. He's going to get better from getting stronger and getting more years of, you know, NBA nutrition and all that. So um, so that's, I think, kind of the irony here is that is that Thon and Malcolm are, are at potentially – Certainly, relative to where they were a year ago, they have more value. And now the question is, can they continue to improve their value, which is is a huge thing for the Milwaukee Bucks. If those guys can continue to enhance their value rather than, you know, again, a year or two from now, we say, like, boy, that, that would have been a good time to trade those guys, right? When you still had the sort of pixie dust of a rookie of the year for Malcolm Brogdon. And, you know, when people were still thinking about Thon as this young guy with untapped upside, uh, who knows, right? You have to hope as a Bucks fan that that's not the way we look at it. Um, but it's very different from Jabari, who who is really at the other end of that spectrum at this point. All right. So we ended up getting through the first five on the same page. Uh, I'm curious if we'll get through six through nine in the same way. Uh, this this one's kind of... There's obviously two rookies left uh, with DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown and then also Greg Monroe and Tony Snell. I'm just going to... I'm going to give you all four and I'm going to... Kind of see where you're at. I have DJ Wilson, Greg Monroe, Tony Snell, Sterling Brown is six, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, do you have those exact same four? Because if so, that's hilarious. Because again, we are going off of different criteria clearly from our bottom six, and also we did not talk to each other about each other's list beforehand. No, I think we're group thinking the hell out of this because that's actually the the exact list that I had as well. Okay. Um, and I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I had Sterling Brown last just because, again, I just, you know, he's a 46 overall pick. I just, you know, again, I, I don't know enough about him. I like the idea of Sterling Brown. He's going to yeah. be dirt cheap for three years. Um, we could be talking about him being, you know, a very valuable guy a year from now if, if sort of he can realize his talents. But he may not look like an NBA player, too, right? I mean, I think he'll be an NBA player, but you, you just don't know. Um, so I think there is value in, you know, again, I had Snell and Monroe above him. Um, I had Snell under Monroe just because, you know, again, I mean, you look at what Greg Monroe did last year. You know, again, we we can dock him. I think you dock him for being a center in the NBA in 2017 and being a guy who's not, you know, a mobile rim protector. Um, he's he's obviously not the way the league is trending, but it worked last year. And um, I, I didn't have him above DJ Wilson just because, um, again, certainly from a value perspective i think you know uh, a new first round pick on a uh, on a rookie contract for four years just by definition should have more value than a guy like greg who you know again looking looking across the league it doesn't seem like anybody has particular interest in in trading for greg um i think i'm again i, I even if he's not back brought, brought, brought back a year from now i'm content to just sort of let the bucks have him for this year and you know, use him as sort of training wheels for for getting kind of the rest of this team used to carrying some of the load that you know, especially offensively, that that is going to you know need to be picked up when when he departs at some point. So, um, so yeah, I had sort of the two veterans in the middle there. Snell, I think he's like solid, but you know, again, like Greg, I think night to night generally impacts the game more. Even though Tony is certainly, I think, along with Chris, two guys that can kind of fit on any team, right? Because they don't need the ball. They play both ends. They defend multiple positions, and they hit threes. Those are the most malleable types of players. Tony and Greg might be sort of the most interesting guys to juxtapose next to each other on this list, just because Greg is sort of the ultimate, like hard to fit into a modern roster type guy, 
and Tony's sort of the ultimate easy to slip it into a modern roster type guy. Um, so I, I, yeah, I had it in that order. Um, I, I, you could easily talk me into any of those guys being first or fourth, but, um, but I do think it's a natural cluster there. Yeah. I think the big thing with me with DJ Wilson, first round pick young kid, I think that automatically kind of puts you above those other guys and Sterling Brown at the bottom of that cluster because, uh, he's a rookie. And like you said, you hope that everything you want Sterling Brown to be ends up being what he is, but. Again, he's not an asset that hurts you because he's dirt cheap, uh, but he's he's just kind of there. He exists, um, which is totally fine. And maybe he becomes a good player and is more than that, but for now he's just there. Uh, Tony Snell, a little bit worried about the contract. I think if that contract was better, I think I easily could have slotted him up higher. I think he could have gone above Wilson. Um, I mean, maybe he even slips into the Thon Malcolm Jabari uh, discussion if he has a, I don't even know, it would have to be pretty cheap. Uh, instead of 444 with a possibility of 46 and options like 4 for 32 or 4 for 36, maybe I can slip him into that group. But uh, with that contract, I think that keeps him down in that area because you're just, I think at this point you're getting what you paid for. Uh, and if everything goes right, that's kind of how it goes. And again, maybe there's there's some potential still there, but he's roughly the same age. I think he's three or four months younger than Chris Middleton. Like he's he's not a super young guy, even though maybe he's just starting to figure out some of the things that he can do in the NBA. But he's not a super young guy, so I slot him there. And yeah, Monroe was. A, an impactful player for this Milwaukee Bucks team last year. He, he was huge for them uh, throughout the season. And again, only one year left on that deal, and who knows about his future, but it seemed like he should kind of slot into that area as well. So unsurprisingly, we talk about the Milwaukee Bucks with each other pretty much every day for the last year, and we tend to have similar opinions about the value of the Bucks players. So I guess that makes sense. I'd be very curious um, if you want to kind of do this exercise along with us, and I'd be curious if people have any major disagreements here. And I should say that I would suspect that they do. I think there's probably a number of places where you could put someone higher lower move people around so if you do let us know on twitter um like i said let us know in uh the audio boom comments let us know with a review on itunes whatever you want to do however you want to get at us go ahead and do that and uh i'm sure we'd be we'd be happy to hash it out with you uh either on twitter or in another podcast answering some of your questions concerns um critiques of our list uh, I think that would be interesting to see. Anything else you wanted to add, Frank? No, give us, um, I'd say, you know, we often get, we get lots of questions when we do our, our mailbags. If a little bit different question, if people have like a theme, I mean, you mentioned sort of the cap theme. Um, if people have any themes that they would like us to do, um, we're, we're certainly open all year, especially over the next couple of months when there's not necessarily going to be a lot of sort of day-to-day new news or I don't know, maybe there will be, maybe there will be reasons for, you know, an emergency podcast here and there. But, um, for the most part, obviously we're, uh, we're going to be probably thinking a bit more abstractly and big, more 
bit more big picture so if people have kind of random um, ideas for podcasts or you know uh, things kind of that they'd like us to, to discuss um, send us those ideas and and certainly we, we appreciate the input and uh, on this next podcast we, we never talk about our anniversaries we passed our one-year anniversary and I think early July Eric we never talked about that um, but we are coming up on a big milestone how dare you forget our anniversary I was I know waiting up just waiting, Frank, for you to bring it up, and you didn't bring it up. Yeah, I know, I know. But um, we are we this this pod that you're listening to right now is going to put us over a million downloads uh, in in lockdown buck his, bucks history. So that's Whoa. definitely a cool milestone. I think this this will be episode two thirty one, and the number of downloads have been kind of going crazy the last couple of weeks. Like all of our um, like our top ten all time most listened to episodes are all in the last like month. So appreciate everybody listening um yeah. i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of curious everybody. If, i'm kind of curious if um the fact that we're obviously not podcasting as much how much of that is driving like people to listen to every episode like i i would find it interesting to know like how many people listen to every episode when we're doing daily versus you know doing like a couple of week or something like that i don't know what the, i don't know how much people can tolerate listening to us in uh, <laughs> in a in a single week i know there's like a number i there's apparently at least a few thousand people who listen every every episode, but maybe uh, maybe people are are uh, maybe we find like our sweet spot here that like you know just just a few times a few Eric and Frank episodes a week is where yeah. people, people really want to tolerate. But anyway, we uh, appreciate everybody's uh, support and listenership, and um, I don't know. Hopefully, we're getting better at this. Hopefully, we're <laughs> becoming less less boring at this. I, I don't know if we are, but. Um, uh, I don't know. I think we're, we're we still say that you still say you're fascinated all the time. I still say stuff will be interesting to watch. Um, hopefully, we're we've gotten rid of some of our our vocal ticks and things like that. <laughs> but um, I guess we'll we'll just continue to strive to be better. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, give us those ideas, and hopefully, we'll have some some crazy, interesting, but also positive things to talk about at some point in the near future. All right, that's going to be it for tonight. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later.